Hi, everyone, and welcome to the next big thing in health. I'm your co-host, Matt Isles. And I'm Laura Evans. As the healthcare industry continues to increase their focus on whole patient care, the next big thing in health is exploring areas where the health plans are improving member experience both inside and outside of the doctor's office. At Mom's Meals, our mission is to improve life through better nutrition at home. Through tailored meal benefits designed to meet the unique needs of their members, we have helped health plans realize cost savings through fewer readmissions, shorter inpatient stays, less emergency department visits, and improved outcomes. Learn more at momsmeals.com. Joining us today is Kronos Manolis, Chief Pharmacy Officer and Senior Vice President of Pharmacy at UPMC Health Plan. Kronos has more than 30 years of experience in the pharmacy and managed care industry and previously held management positions with Medco Health Solutions and Statlander Specialty Pharmacy Services. He's also an adjunct instructor at the University of Pittsburgh School of Pharmacy. Kronos, thanks for being with us today. Well, thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me and, and uh, letting me provide an opportunity for your listeners to get an update on pharmacy. Well, uh, we're very excited to have you here, and we're also flattered to hear that you're a big fan of the podcast. So you know that we've spoken with a lot of different healthcare providers about challenges that they face and have uh, really navigated throughout the pandemic, and also how they've tried to take advantage and capitalize on new opportunities to improve the member experience. Can you maybe share how COVID-19 has impacted pharmacy programs in particular, and maybe touch on the opportunities it's created to make improvements for customers? Yeah, I mean, you know, as a practicing pharmacist uh, for a number of years, you know, I'll start with really the profession at the highest level. I think COVID has really elevated the profession in general. Um, you think about during the lockdown, the, fo the focus was on stockpiling meds. We wanted to make sure that everyone had their meds. Um, you know, as a plan, we removed all barriers to help facilitate that. Um, as for an accessible provider, pharmacists were available, one of the few available during that time, and they provided invaluable coverage uh, while many healthcare professionals were still trying to navigate, um, you know, the pandemic. And if you think about uh, the value prop in pharmacy, if you think about all the behavioral health issues during that time, I think it starts to hit the value prop for pharmacy as an invaluable triage resources because, you know, they've got the relationship with patients. And I, I really think it has elevated the profession. And then, you know, if you think about vaccine deployment, right, where would we be without the pharmacies? Um, and then you take that to test and treat. Um, the pharmacy is becoming a destination. And so, you know, I've talked to uh, many in the industry, even though I'm on the plan side, is how do we take that momentum and, and not look back? Um, you know, as a plan, uh, our pharmacists, our care management pharmacists, we really ramped up our calls during COVID. Um, and what we learned is that we had to be much more social worker, social determinants of health. Our members were just so excited that there was somebody to talk to in their setting. Um, and, and so, you know, we became experts at whole person care. And I think that's really led a lot of our program development um, going forward. So, um, you know, I, I'm so impressed um, with how literally overnight we, we just moved 
uh, all of our clinical resources, all of our people home. I think we don't talk about that enough anymore. It's, it's kind of uh, in the background, but we really never missed a beat and we really kept men or, uh, our members at the center. That's wonderful. Well, Kronos, outside of COVID, an ongoing issue, as we all know, is the cost of medications. So many Americans are worried about that today. So can you share with us how health plans like UPMC are working to address the high cost of drugs right now? And then what other changes, whether they're regulatory or legislative, that you think could be made to bring down the cost of drugs? Sure. I mean, you know, Laura, we have amazing drugs today. I, I think people don't really understand that, but what good are they uh, if people can't afford them or they don't take them? Uh, and if you think about diabetes, for an example, not only are these drugs uh, effective for diabetes, they have cardioprotective effects, renal protective benefits, uh, along with material weight loss. So at UPMC, we decided that we we wanted to take cost off the table for our members for uh, formulary brand drugs that people have tendencies to not be able to afford. So for our Medicare Advantage plan, I think we are one of the very few plans in the country that have done it. We've moved all of our formulary brand drugs to a generic tier, to a $10 tier. And you know, a number of, and then moreover, a number of generics we've just moved to the zero tier. So we're really making an investment in our members where our members can save as much as $500 per year uh, on a preferred diabetes drug. And if you think about it, we're making a bet that the downstream effects of these drugs, we're gonna see an offset to overall total cost of care. You know, in our commercial books where the incentives are just a little bit different, uh, I, I, we partner with a company called Sempre Health and what Semprate does is provide real-time texts to, to members when it's time for their refill to be um, you know, delivered. Um, and then if they act on that text, they will receive a copay discount program um, to help them afford their diabetes drugs as well. We've, we've moved that beyond diabetes. So really we're excited um, that in both of those programs, we've seen real improvements in medication and adherence uh, as well as member satisfaction, as well as provider satisfaction. And another example is a drug called Narcan, where you know we, we're gonna, sadly, we're gonna see a record number of deaths this year again. Um, and, and this drug is, is really effective, and, but it's got a lot of stigma attached to it. So um, we made a decision at the health plan that we were gonna put that drug on a zero copay tier. We were gonna just say, look, this drug is that value there's enough stigma out there. How do we take cost off the table? And, and to this day, we're um, one of a few, well, a few plans that, that do that. But again, um, it's making an investment in our, in our membership um, and breaking down some of these cost barriers. You know, I just mentioned from a regulatory perspective, there's all the things that we've been talking about and certainly Matt is familiar with all of them, right? Just, you know, pay for delay and biosimilar barriers and all things, but I think our biggest, one of our top two, three opportunities out there is with outcomes-based contracting and how do we put risk on the table? How do we get manufacturers to put real risk on the table? Um, there's been, you know, there's been uh, uh, discussion about how we, we don't allow discounts and value-based contracts to apply to best price, all of those kinds of things. But until we change the paradigm and we move from volume to value, 
um, we're gonna we're gonna cycle through these issues, and and that's where we really need uh, everyone's help. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm really glad, Kronos, that you mentioned the outcomes based contracting. Um, you know, in addition to you know some of the other challenges from a, a regulatory legislative perspective, the pay for delay, you know, limiting access to biosimilars. Um, but I think that the promise of outcomes based contracting you know, is an area where actually we probably agree with the pharmaceutical uh, industry, you know, more than we disagree. And, you know, the innovative health plans like UPMC, are, you know, are constantly looking at ways to deliver value for their members. Maybe you could share a little bit about how UPMC is doing that through things like value-based contracting. Um, I think our audience um, is gonna be especially interested in this area, uh, and the approach to reimbursement, just given, as you mentioned, so many new drugs, all of the challenges that we're facing, uh, especially amazing therapies, but extremely high price tags. So maybe you could share a little bit about that. Yeah, sure. I mean, I, 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 I will say, I think about value-based contracting a little bit more broadly. So let me try to address it that way. Um, I, the way we think about it are, are three key, key areas. Number one is just retail pharmacy price reform. If you think about it, and again, I'm an old retailer, we expect clinical services from our retail pharmacies, but they're solely funded through drug margin. I, I can't think of another profession where that actually happens. And how do we start paying for clinical services and then and, and really utilizing uh, a largely ignored resource out there? So that's kind of one leg. The second is provider risk programs. So as we enter into ACOs and OCMs and those kinds of things, we've got to put drug into the equation. But drug is pretty volatile and, and you know, it's influenced by specialists. And you know, we end up arguing with PCPs around how we do that fairly. But there's no question, I think we change the paradigm if we can include drug in those MER equations. And really then, and I'll talk about this in a little bit, give providers the tools they need to manage that. But, but obviously, getting back to your, your original question, number three is the traditional rebate contracting or how we purchase drugs. You know, at UPMC, I am really fortunate to have an entire ecosystem of support. You know, we have a world-class health system. We have, you know, with every clinical setting uh, uh, on record, right, an academic medical center attached a 4 million life full product health plan that's experienced in value-based payments. We've got pharmacy assets, including a large specialty pharmacy. And we've got a center for value-based healthcare, um, which houses our center for value-based pharmacy initiatives. And when you have those assets, we think we can make real progress on the value-based pharmacy front. And so from an outcomes-based contracting, we've been nationally recognized for our work on these outcomes-based contracts. So we've done a number of contracts involving you know, non-traditional measures. That's what we'd really like to specialize in. We survey our, all of our stakeholders and we ask them what's important to you. So we've done things with patient-reported outcomes. And you think about that, you know, assigning risk on patient-reported outcomes is really um, innovative. And we've got pharmas to agree with that. Um, things like comparative effectiveness, thinking, you know, things like using sick time as a proxy for my, migraine drug effectiveness. So we've got lots of new migraine drugs. How do we make sure they're really working? 
and we've done total cost of care uh, in diabetes. But you know, our biggest barrier continues to be just this reluctance, whether it's regulatory based or whether it is um, just the framework that we have to work with. Um, that to, how do you get more risk on the table? How do we get beyond kind of the token risk? And, and that's really our challenge. And if you think about the pipeline of tomorrow where we start to get transformative therapies and, and cures, we, we can't be going with today's model with tomorrow's pipeline. Let me ask you about transparency, Cronus. Um, we hear that term in a lot of aspects of, of healthcare and system, and, it, and it's so important for consumers, for patients. How is UPMC working to improve the transparency um, system in the, in the pharmacy space? So, you know, our goal is to provide as much information to the members in real time um, to ensure they have the tools to, to aid in their decision making, right? So, for example, um, things like coverage, pricing, formulary information, how do we get it to as many accessible outlets as possible, whether that's their mobile device, whether it's web, et cetera. And, you know, as you do that, you want to make sure you're providing similar tools to the providers at the point of prescribing. And, and I tell you, I'm so excited about these tools called real-time uh, benefits where we're, you know, we're at, at the point of prescribing, we're giving our docs what the patient will pay. Um, are there more cost-effective alternatives? Are there more cost-effective pharmacy options? What does the drug actually cost? I think that's a game changer. If you can imagine all the noise that goes on between the provider the pharmacy, the plan, and the patient's caught in the middle. The goal is to get 100% clean prescriptions the first time and eliminate surprises the pharmacy. And if you think about how many people walk away from their drug uh, because it needs an auth, et cetera, um, we have a chance to clean this up, but we really need to, to, to the incentives to, to get adoption. And we're really early as well, right? So we're in the second inning of these tools and they're complex. These tools are actually tapping into claim systems. Well, we know our claim systems are right, but how do you present the information in those precious seconds for our providers to make that decision and have a shared decision-making conversation? And then if you can get the patient, the member, similar information, I think you really get to close that loop and you become really effective. And think about it, if we can get all that noise out of the system, will we yeah. then get to a point where clinicians have nothing but more time to spend with their patients as right. opposed to administrative functions? Right, right. Yeah, and, and you touched, Carlos, on you know, some of the incredible complexity, right? And, and you haven't even you know, brought in some of the other entities that are part of the, you know, pharmaceutical distribution system. So the complexity is enormous in the pharmacy space. And I think transparency is one important way to sort of cut through that complexity. Are there um, certain regulatory challenges that you think make it particularly difficult to lower costs or increase transparency or you know, make the patient experience uh, better uh, more broadly? Yeah. you know. I'm going to give you a couple examples that hopefully are not too big to solve because we've got to solve it. But I, I think my number one area, and again, speaking just to provide a little bit of context is, you know, we're a full service health plan and we create all of our own formularies and policies here. So 
You know, we've got to create them for commercial business, the exchange business, Medicare, Medicaid, children's health. And yet every different government agency has their own nuances around how those policies and formularies are to be created. And if you think about a pharmacy department, I've got to have people that understand the nuances of all those lines of business and then back it up via audit. And again, one of the things that I like to stress and how fortunate I am is we have access to every type of specialist um, you know, within our health system. And what we like to do is when you, when you can mix a real world clinical practice data with all of that evidence, you should be able to create the right policies. Yet each of these entities will approve our policies and you know, they're all pharmacists, they're all trained in the same way, but you know, for whatever, whether it's you know, um, uh, political uh, lobby, you name it, uh, there's certain nuances to how many prereq drugs are have or whether we can do this and whether we can do that. And I, I just think it really, um, can you imagine the duplicative costs um, and, and of, of why we have to manage uh, drugs in, in the same way. And I, you know, look, I was at CMS lobbying back in 2011. We need to follow the evidence um, because what we're able to do in Medicaid and in exchange and commercial business is, is more strict than we're able to do in Medicare. But, and we're not saying that to manage money. We just want a value-based approach and, uh, you know, certainly appropriate care. So how do we create consensus and eliminate some of this. Mm. Um, and, and so I, I think, you know, the other example that's probably out there more than anything, and we could spend a whole nother show on this is the, the 340B regulation <laughs> and how far we've gotten away from center. And, you know, everybody's kind of piling on and, you know, how do we get back to some normalcy? Um, because I, I think there's a lot of stakeholders getting hurt in that entity and I guarantee you the patients are. Well, we'll make sure we footnote that for another show for sure. Um, it, it does sound like you're leading in a lot of these efforts, Kronos, but we know there are also a lot of disruptors out there in this space who are trying to bring things like digital therapeutics, uh, physician transparency tools uh, to healthcare. Can you talk about any emerging tools or new technologies that you're particularly excited about? Well, I talked about the provider transparency tools, and I, I do want to mention electronic prior authorization. You know, there's a lot of activity, and in, in certainly in your circles, certainly at the state levels around, you know, we've got to eliminate prior authorization, or we've got to make it more efficient. And, and you know, I, again, as being 30 plus years in this business, pharmacy is the most widely used benefit. There is a ton of variation on what comes to the market. And, and you know, we feel like prior authorization is one of those things that protects all the stakeholders. Mm -hmm. But if it's just too prohibitive from an administrative perspective, then, you know, then why the heck, you know, what, what, what good is it, right? And so instead of fighting um, the establishment on prior auth, there's, a, there's tools out there now called EPA, uh, electronic PA, that if you think about it, if you could pull up all the data, from the EMR, pull up the data from claims. And there's no reason why you can't do that with, with you know, everything, how everything is interconnected these days. And you can start to auto authorize things for physicians inside their workflow. 
again, it goes to that concept of um, 100% clean scripts, no surprises at the pharmacy, no you know, barraging of faxes between pharmacies and health plans and providers. Um, and you know, so I, I think, A, we need regulatory assistance or incentives to help adoption because you know, EPA is a workflow issue for docs. And, you know, they're not, they're, they're kind of used to handing somebody a fax and that's the way the world works, but that's not ideal. And we're having unintended consequences and we're having scrutiny, you know, CMS and other agencies scrutinize the prior auth process. So I think that adoption of those tools, whatever way we can and educating the stakeholders that these are actually will be game changers and will free up tons of clinical time. Um, certainly is, is one area. The second area I, I talked about was, you know, these direct to consumer tools, whether it is, you know, SMS text or just transparency um, and, and tools like that. I, I think those are going to be the areas where how do we arm um, our members with information so they, they, are, they are adept at navigating this complex healthcare environment. I'm so glad, uh, Karanis, that you mentioned the um, electronic prior authorization. I, I know we've been a, at AHIP a, a big proponent of that. And, and no, we did a, a, a pilot initiative last year. And the, the, the reduction in terms of uh, friction, uh, greater uh, uh, time to getting patients their medications uh, in terms of uh, making it easier for them to get it. I mean, it, it, we have to really move towards this automated uh, system and, and take, as you mentioned, the facts out of it, right? We shouldn't be having paper anymore going back and forth uh, at this time, uh, just given where we are, but it, it still is, uh, it's amazing how much still goes back and forth. Yeah, I mean, we didn't get here overnight, so I'm, I'm patient, but I, I think that um, it is incredible how various stakeholders will just continue on with the status quo um, instead of, you know, really um, embracing the concept. And I think that's what we, and if we can get regulatory incentives or regulatory mandates or whatever those things need to be, um, I think we'll have a system that allows for more clinical care and, and less patient, um, less patient walkaways. And that's at the end of the day is, is what it's all about. Yeah, that, that's a great message. And I know that you know from listening to our podcast, we always ask our guests one final question. So I'm going to uh, give you a fastball right down the center of the plate. You know it's coming. Uh, what do you think the next big thing in health is? Well, I'm going to keep it in the pharmacy realm. Um, <laughs> and I, I think we are about to enter the, the world of the transformative pipeline. And uh, if you think about, you know, I'll go back to COVID for a minute, the fact that we were able to get a vaccine in, in record time um, just gives you a glimpse into the technology that is out there and, and the innovation that's about to hit us. And so, you know, I know, uh, Matt, Laurie, you talk about biosimilars all the time. So biosimilar adoption, as tricky as it is, just given all of the different stakeholders, um, we will get there and we will um, save some space, if you will, for these transformative therapies. Um, you know, we've been in this era where 
you know, we've been probably over the last, say, 10 years where specialty pharmacy, one to 2% of our members are driving over 50% of our cost. We will start to get relief there through biosimilars, especially over the next three to five years. But we will also start to see things like gene therapy, CAR-T, um, and who knows, soon to be discovered technologies that are just gonna place a huge burden on uh, the pharmacy affordability uh, equation. And so, you know, the demand will be incredible. These will be life-changing. Um, they will be priced at lifetime cures. And we have this discussion with manufacturers all the time. We're pricing uh, these drugs at lifetime cures. However, uh, we have five years worth of data, seven years worth of data. And what happens if relapses occur? Uh, what happens, right? And, um, and we need value-based contracts to protect us. But in the current framework, um, there's just a real mismatch between what's being put at risk and what the upfront costs are. And I'm not even talking about um, the different uh, financing models that are being kicked around. You know, we have clients coming to us asking us, they don't wanna cover gene therapy. They, they're not even sure what it is, but it's it comes with a price tag that will you know will really blow up their model. So you know I, I think that we've seen the tip of the iceberg, and this conversation is going to shift. Uh, I think there are so many unanswered questions about how they're going to be deployed. They're not going to come through your traditional models, um, and 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 you know I hope it happens, but you know we need to be ready. If they start, and you know it will, if these therapies come down to more mainstream conditions like cholesterol and, and diabetes and things like that, uh, now you're, you're, you're talking about um, large populations at large prices, and we will start to have these challenges. So I think that's what's coming. Um, I think uh, a lot of discussion is going on, um, but... Uh, that's where I think the future is. Fascinating. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. A great way to finish. And uh, we're definitely going to have to come back to you uh, as we uh, look at this transformative pipeline and see how it's uh, uh, hitting the population and what the major issues are. Thank you so much for being with us today. No, I, I appreciate it and, and always happy to uh, uh, to opine on drug and, and keep up the great work on the podcast. Um, I think it's just, uh, it, it's just so informative and, and you're right at the cutting edge of, of, of where the, where the puck's going, as they say. <laughs> well, appreciate you boiling down the complexities and uh, all your, your insights, Kronos. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Thanks guys.